Sunday School, and it will be going through the book of Acts. Now, who can remember the last time we were in the book of Acts? Anybody? Ben? Not that long, but almost that long. It was actually 2019 when we were working through the book of Acts. So it's, it's been a minute. Yeah, pre-COVID. There you go. Yep, yep. It was certainly that time. And um, here are more copies. If you don't have a copy, raise your hand, and Charlene will make sure that you get one. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time. And when we began, uh, Brandon Bishop one of our elders, uh, went ahead and gave us an introduction to the whole series on the book of Acts. So at this point, I'm just going to ask him to come up and review that whole lesson. Are you ready? No? Okay. All right, never mind. Uh, I'll I'll take over. Um, So because we haven't been in it in a while, we're going to do this morning just a quick overview of chapters 1 through 12, and then we're going to focus in on some of the theology of the book of Acts. Even though the book of Acts is a historical narrative, we still see a lot of theology coming out of it. So we want to focus on that this morning to kind of give us a foundation of where we're going. So before we start, let me pray and then we'll dive into our little outline that you have before you. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory and honor for this beautiful day that you've given us. Father, thank you that we can gather here and we can teach and be taught, that we can hear your word proclaimed, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and apply that word to our hearts so that we may live a life that brings you honor and glory. So Father, I pray this morning that you would use this time in Sunday school to help sharpen us, help us think more thoroughly about the book of Acts and also just stir up in us a love for your word. Help us this morning, help me, And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Okay, so the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 12. So we're going to do some reading here in a minute. But before we go through it, I'm just going to go through kind of some of the the things that you'll go through um, when you are working through a new book of the Bible. So we're doing an overview. So when we think about who is the author of the book of Acts, it's on your paper. But if anybody wants to raise their hand and tell me, Ted. Luke. Who's Luke, Ted? Okay, perfect. Yep, that's it. Now we can move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Luke um, is a guy that is, we're thinking, spending a lot of time with Paul towards the end of his life, and he's writing an account of what happened uh, with not only the, the early movement of the church, but he's also writing about the gospel, right? So we have the gospel of Luke, and then we have Acts, Now, Luke probably wrote these books back to back and to be read at the same time because as you'll see in a minute, he's written them both to the same person. But this is Luke, also known as Luke the physician. They thought he's a doctor because of the way that he writes uh, and, and some of the things that he's done in scripture kind of points to the fact that he was most likely a doctor. All right, so the setting of this book of Acts, it's going to begin in Jerusalem, and then it's going to spread to the end of the earth. So if you look there, I've got like a a few little chunks, I think four chunks. Chapters one through seven uh, is the church beginning in Jerusalem, and then chapters eight through 12, it spreads to Samaria, Damascus, Caesarea, and Antioch. 
And then in chapters 13 through 20, which we haven't got to yet, but we will be getting to, the church spreads to Asia Minor and Europe. And then finally in chapters 21 through 28, Paul is on trial and brings the gospel to Rome. Now, when we're looking at these kind of two different chunks, you could say that chapters 1 through 12 are, are mostly focusing on the Jerusalem church and Peter. And in that, it, it's mostly when you look at Acts chapter 1, which we will hear in a second, when we look at that, it, it, it's more of the, we want this to spread to uh, the Jews. We want this to spread to the Jews. And then in chapter 12, we see that the gospel actually first breaks through to Gentiles with uh, the man named Cornelius. Um, and he, he's a Gentile. And that's when Peter preaches to them and the spirit descends and they baptize them. And it's this beautiful uh, picture of the gospel breaking through not only to Jews, but to Gentiles. And then starting in chapters 13 all the way through 28, we kind of have the story shift from Peter and move over to Saul or Paul and how he preaches to the Gentiles. So that's a very quick flyover of the entire book of Acts and its setting. Now the date. It's important to know the date for uh, a few different reasons, but one of them, it, it helps us understand here right in the beginning why we don't see more, uh, more details that we are sure happened, but we don't see them in the book of Acts. So I, I'm going to say this is going to be your first blank, and I don't say this. This is what scholars say. I, I don't have that kind of um, knowledge to drop just at the tip of a hat, but the date, as in most books, this is debated, but a convincing argument is made for the years of 62 to 64 AD. Now, why is this a convincing argument? Number one, so that's your first blank, was 62 to 64. Um, number one, Acts does not mention the death of Paul, which is another one of your blanks, I believe. Acts does not mention the death of Paul, which is somewhere between the years of 64 and 67. Nor the destruction, your next blank, of the temple in Jerusalem, which was dated somewhere around 70. So the reason why we can place it there is because Luke in the book of Acts does not talk about Paul dying. In fact, he ends with Paul being in Rome, which he says for two years teaching to the people that will come to him. And then it doesn't say anything about the destruction of the temple, which we have historical evidence that happens there in 70 AD. So that's, that's why most scholars can put it around 62 to 64. So like I just said, Acts ends with Paul on house arrest in Rome, and Luke uh, ends it there with saying that he lived there for two years, but he doesn't talk about his death. That would be a, a, a very important piece that Luke would have left out uh, in, that, in that situation. So that's our date, that's our setting, that's our author, and now we come to the purpose of the book of Acts. So the, the book of Acts has a, has a purpose because it's written to give an orderly account of the Christian uh, movement to one Theophilus. So Luke says that he's given an orderly account of the things that have been taught by Jesus Christ and his followers and what they accomplished. So now we're going to do a little bit of help. Can I get one person to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? 
And then can I get someone else to read Acts 1, 1 through 4? So two readers. Michael, you'll do Luke 1, 1 through 4. Anybody else? Titus, you can do Acts chapter 1, 1 through 4. So start in Luke, and then Titus, when he's done, you can do Acts. Thank you. Titus, hold on one second. We're going to do a little bit of work here, and then we'll go to you. So I I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, Luke is not telling you that he was an eyewitness. Luke is really clear that other people were eyewitnesses, but not him. And so he's taking those eyewitness accounts, and he's going to order them together for Theophilus. Uh, this guy that he is writing to. So you've got some blanks here, and I think these are important to just understand as we work through it, right? So inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, okay? So that's a blank, a narrative. And why I'm saying, why I want you to write this in as a blank is because it's important for us to understand that Luke and Acts are actually historical narrative. That means this is This is something that historians can look back to and say, yes, these things actually have happened. And when we're studying the Bible, we study the Bible differently for narratives than we would for an epistle or for, you know, one of Paul's writings to one of the churches. We don't study them the same way. One is a more historic study. The other one um, is is more trying to didactical, trying to see the argument that Paul or someone else is trying to make. So, your first blank was, compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So, these things have actually taken place. These things have actually happened in history. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. So, Luke's purpose here in writing these two books, which are together, is to write an orderly account. He wants Theophilus to see how this started from the beginning and how it continues. And the reason why he wants to do an orderly account, your last blank, is so Theophilus may have certainty. He may know for sure that these things have been happened and the things that he was taught by someone else, he can have um, he can feel encouraged that these things actually happened, okay? All right, Uh, Titus, read for us Acts chapter one, one through four. Someone say a question? Eric, go ahead. Yeah, I I would say that Luke is not one of the original disciples. Um, So he is somebody that is going to be compiling the work, not as it was happening, but afterwards. I I think that's how we see Luke. Yeah, I think he certainly could have witnessed some of it. And especially with the, the book of Acts, I think he plays a much more heavy part in actually witnessing that. But I don't think in the um, original, like Luke's composite of the narrative of the gospel, I don't think he, from the beginning, is one of those eyewitnesses. I think you're right. I think it's a helpful um, 
maybe clarification. Not from the beginning, but he does come along and he witnesses some of it, but not every single thing. Thanks, Eric. Okay. Um, yes, Ronnie. I was wanted to ask, and I didn't know if you seen this in your study, but I can't remember where I read it. I think it was in the Case of Christ, but uh, uh, the book of Acts and Luke, where Peter Luke is the uh, So I remember reading that book. I don't remember that statement, but I, as far as I can tell, with Luke's account of it, we do have a very good historical narrative, and I think a lot of scholars will go to Luke as kind of the guy, right? Because of his um, clarity in how he writes and the uh, details that he puts in are, are able to go back in time and look at it and then verify that these things did actually happen. So I think that's a, that's a good statement to make for sure. Yeah, thanks, Ronnie. All right. Uh, Titus, go for Acts. In the, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while departing with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. Go ahead and just finish verse 5 there, Titus. For John baptized with water, but you, may be, or, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Thanks, brother. Okay, so as Titus read to us, we have kind of the beginning of this narrative in Luke chapter 1, uh, where he's talking about, hey, I want you to have this orderly account, and then he moves into... Acts, which again, these two are written um, to be in tandem together, to read through Luke and then into Acts. And if you haven't done that as a Bible study, I highly encourage you to do that. It's a very um, fruitful study. Uh, But I, I wanted to highlight these words for you. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Not that he was completed in what he did and what he taught, but just as what he began to do in this first book. So he's saying that first book was the beginning of what Jesus was doing and teaching until the day he was taken up and had given commands, the second blank, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering for many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So just this idea of it's not over yet, This is what Jesus began to do, but through his church, he will continue to do the work that he first began to do. So, note that the purpose is both what Christ has taught and done, and what he continues to do in his church. Now, I've got a long quote here for you from John Stott that's not in your notes, um, but I'm going to read it to you anyways, uh, so that you can have it, and if you're interested in it, I can help you find it later on. Luke's first two verses are, therefore, extremely significant. It's no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. These regard their founder as having completed his ministry during his lifetime. Luke says Jesus only began his. True, he finished the work of atonement, yet that, he, yet that end was also a beginning. For after he resurrected, ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, he continued his work. First and foremost, 
through the unique foundation ministry of his chosen apostles, and subsequently through the post-apostolic church of every period and place. This, then, is the kind of Jesus Christ we believe in. He is both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. The Jesus of history began his ministry on earth. The Christ of glory has been active through his spirit ever since according to his promise, to be with his people always to the very end of the age. So, theology of Luke. And again, we, we've already gone through a, a couple introductions of the book of Acts. I'll point you back to them in our, um, or on our website, you can find them. You can't find them on our podcast it only goes back a couple of years, but if you uh, go onto our website, you can find Brandon's wonderful teaching, which I listened to this week, and I would just point you back to that uh, for you guys to get more information on the book of Acts. But that was just kind of a flyover, a review of where we're going. Okay, so theology. I want to look at the theology of Acts, because this is really important for us to understand, kind of as we take a peek into chapters 13 through 28, and think back on chapters 1 through 12, we always want to see the study of God, what God has been doing through redemptive history. We always want to see and kind of um, let that rise to the surface as we study who God is. So although the book of Acts is written as historical narrative, it still has much theological significance. Okay, so number one, the theology of the book of Acts, number one, is the continuation of God's purpose in history. The continuation of God's purpose in history. So events recorded are brought about by the will and the purpose of God as it continues. Uh, I think uh, if somebody wants to read for us, Acts chapter 2, verses 23, and then if somebody will read for us Acts chapter 4, 27 through 29. Any takers? Keith will be one of them. John, are you my mic runner today? Awesome. Thanks, John. All right, so that's one, Acts 2, 23. Anybody else want to read Acts chapter 4, 27 through 29? Ben. Of course you do, Ben. Good job, buddy. All right, Keith. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay. I, I just want you to see that this actually was always God's purpose in redemptive history, right? This was the, the, the plan that God had created to continue his work in his church, but he had planned that it would happen with Christ from all of eternity. Thanks, brother. Ben. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Thank you, Ben. So again, we see this predestined plan, this continuation of God's purpose in history. So when we're looking at the, the big kind of themes that are happening in Acts, we're seeing that uh, 
this is God's plan continued for his church after Christ has accomplished his work, but will continue his work. So we see that the church was regarded as taking place in the fulfillment of scripture. So this idea of fulfillment was important for the continuation of God's purpose in history. And then seeing the power of God in signs and wonders performed in Jesus' name. So this theology was just prevalent throughout uh, the book of Acts. We'll see that. And in a minute, we're going to go and we're going to look at number two, which is the theology of mission and message. Mission and message is number two. So somebody read for us Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Actually, you can read 6 through 8. Anybody? Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. Ronnie. John's getting his work out today. We'll have to give John a round of applause after Sunday school's over. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thanks, Ronnie. So I, I want us to see this is the mission, right? We just spent a month. You're like, Andrew, we know the mission. We had sermons for a month straight on what the mission of the church was. We get it already. But I just want you to see that the mission that's being referred to in the book of Acts is that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. We see that theology taking place. We see that mission taking place, that being the very core of the mission. But the message was that Jesus had been put to death by the Jews, but raised from the dead by God and declared the Jewish Messiah and source of salvation. So the reason I say that, and and we know, or or I hope we know that the gospel, what the gospel is. So the message, I can't say message to save my life this morning, but the message that was being used by the, the, the early church was really focusing on the fact that, especially in the book of Acts, was, was talking about the Jews putting Christ to death, really harping on that fact, and then saying, but he was raised from the dead by God and declared Messiah and the source of salvation. Now, Acts chapter 2, 22 through 36 is kind of a longer uh, chunk of scripture, and maybe I'll just read... Yeah, I'll read that for us this morning. So Acts chapter 2, 22 through 26 says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand 
that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out, he was, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So maybe you're hearing the themes of uh, Peter laying it at their feet. You guys did this. This was your Messiah, but you crucified him. But don't worry, God raised him from the dead. You can still put your faith in him uh, and he will give you salvation. This actually gets repeated, not the same uh, sermon that he gives, But this gets repeated a few different times as we go on, one of them being when Stephen is stoned, right? Stephen gives this whole biblical theology of redemptive history right before uh, he gets stoned to the people who will stone him and kill him, pointing them to the fact that Jesus is the one, was the Messiah, that they killed him, and all they need to do is put their faith in him and repent of their sin, and they will be saved. And then they kill him. So Acts is actually concerned with this message specifically. This is how they are bringing the gospel to all the people that they are coming into contact with, this specific usage of the gospel. So number three, when we're thinking of the theology of Acts. So number one was continuation of God's purpose in history. Number two is the mission and the message. Number three is progress despite opposition. So, when we think of progress despite opposition, I think all of us can look to the book of Acts and see that this wasn't the comfortable Christianity that you and I right now are able to sit in this air-conditioned room, worship together on a Sunday, have all of our cars in the parking lot, not worry who's seeing them or writing them down, or the people at the beginning of our neighborhood aren't taking little notes as we drive in uh, to see that we are actually confessing Christians. We are comfortable right now, but the church in the beginning was not. They were persecuted. But through this opposition, the church still progressed. So uh, Acts 14, verse 22, if somebody wants to grab that verse. Acts 14, verse 22. Actually, we can start in verse 21. Anybody? Ronnie and Keith are both raising their hands. Acts 
When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Listeria and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Thank you, Keith. That was a very uh, kingdom of God. That was good. I like that. That was that that pumped me up this morning. Uh, I also made you read that so you had to say all of those names of those places that I couldn't pronounce. So thank you, Keith. Um, but we see, and this is just uh, the disciples encouraging them, saying that there must be many tribulations. But it, you just have to read through the book of Acts, and you guys have read it, right? You've seen that. I mean, thinking of Stephen having to stand there and give his testimony, or Paul, as we continue, verses 13, you know, chapters 13 through 28, as he's getting beaten for what he's been said multiple times. I mean, Paul got beat up all the time in the book of Acts, and he still is powering through that by the Spirit, and the church is progressing. I mean, it literally starts off with like a hundred people in the beginning. And then we get to uh, the preaching uh, on the day of Pentecost, and then there's like 2,000 people. I mean, and, and this continues to happen. The church continues to progress despite the opposition that is around it. All right, so then we go um, to number four, which all of us should cheer, which is the inclusion of the Gentiles in the people of God. The inclusion of the Gentiles in the people of God. Why is this such a big deal? This is a question. Someone can answer it if they want to. Why is this such a big deal? Why would this be such a theologically huge thing, Ted? That's right. And that's why we have the book of Galatians, right? Which is uh, the Jews trying to put some of the old laws back onto Gentiles and, and teach them a different gospel, right? And, and so, and, and even you can go to Ephesians where you read about the mystery of Christ. And what is the mystery? That Jews and Gentiles are no longer two, but they've become one. Whew, this is, this is big. And so you have this Jewish people, which is a, it becomes a people even under Rome as they're, they're, they're pressing in on them. They've allowed, uh, been allowed to kind of have their own religion under Rome and kind of set up their, themselves aside so they won't cause much trouble. They can continue to try to worship God. And then all of the sudden, the Gentiles are children of Abraham. Oh, man. That is a huge theological distinction that is made. So Luke stresses that the Old Testament origins of the church and its roots in OT prophecy, he, he, he stresses this, and then he shows now that the people of God include the Gentiles, which God poured out the Holy Spirit on. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 10, we're not going to read all of this this morning, but if you go to Acts chapter 10, 1 through eleven eighteen, this is the story of Cornelius. 
right? The story um, where he's been praying and then Peter comes and Peter preaches and the Holy Spirit comes on these people and Peter's freaking out uh, because they are now believing in Christ and they have the Holy Spirit. And he says, who can withhold water from these people? They need to be baptized. And so they're baptized into the church. Peter specifically, who is like the guy for the Jewish church, right? He's, or at least one of them. James is probably the guy. But, but Peter is one of these huge people that stresses this belief in Christ. And as he see the Gentiles coming to Christ, this had to just blow his mind. And then we see Paul's particular mission was to preach to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So Acts 13, 46 So this is a peek into the future of where we're going. I'll read to you this. I'll start actually in verse 44. Um, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so, I don't know if your Bible shows you this, um, but you can, you can go and look at some of these prophecies being fulfilled in Psalms 2-7, Isaiah 55-3, Psalm 16-10, Isaiah 49-6. Um, that's that whole beautiful, the light being given to all the nations. So those are some verses for you to, to check out today. Uh, after, um, maybe this afternoon as you're gathering around the lunch table. Uh, and then finally, the fifth theological significance is the life and organization of the church. So we've got lots of different things here, right? We just talked about the inclusion of the Gentiles. We've talked about the, um, the persecution that will happen, the, mis- the mission and the message, and the continuation of God's purpose in history. And then we come to the life and organization of the church. Now Luke stresses specifically the importance of the Holy Spirit. He does not leave that out, okay? He he wants that to be really helpful for the people of God, that the Holy Spirit would play an intricate part in the life and organization of the church. Now, this will kind of go into what um, Pastor Phil, or Elder Phil, uh, preached on for us, which was the fellowship of the church. But Luke stresses that the life of the church And the organization of the church actually shows the fellowship and the caring for others. So Luke, or uh, Acts rather, 2, 42 through 47. Does somebody want to read that? Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. If you make Keith do it, I'll be upset. Somebody else has to read it. Ryan, thank you, buddy. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing 
them up with all as anyone might have need. And daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, Ryan. So we see the fellowship of the church, the caring for others, the devotion to the word, um, to the teaching of the apostles. This was the organization of the church and the life of the church. They were, they were sharing with those who had need. And then we see, after the fellowship of the church and caring for others, that Luke shows the need for structure. So it wasn't just, okay, we're just going to do this willy-nilly uh, the Holy Spirit's going to give us new instructions every week. It's going to be great. No, there was actually a need for structure. And, and Pastor Joel last week uh, providentially preached or taught, not preached, he taught in Sunday school on the difference between elders and deacons and their function. And we see that specifically coming out of Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, where we read um, that the elder said, is not good for us, right? To be waiting on tables, let us assign deacons or servants, those who have servant hearts, to go and to do this work. Um, and so this is what happens. They, they end up dividing themselves into those who would focus on the word and prayer and those who would focus on actually serving the people. Uh, and, and then I just added another verse in there for you in Acts chapter 20, 17 through 38. If any of you have gone through either a pastoral visit um, or through um, uh, an interview for the church, you will know that this is one of the verses that we bring up a lot of the times, which is Paul giving instructions to the Ephesian elders to always be mindful of the sheep that are among you, for they were purchased by the blood of Christ. And so we see this need for structure of elders and deacons and the elders' function, which is not only the, the ministry of word and prayer, but of shepherding the souls of the flock that is among them. So this is all what the Holy Spirit is leading these people to do. Um, this is the establishment of the church. So when you look at the book of Acts, it's not just a really cool narrative of all these signs and wonders and miraculous things. There's actually deep theology connected to it. And I think we've got a crowd of people waiting to come in. So I'll pray and then I'll be up here uh, for any questions, concerns, or cries of outrage. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the way that you have established your church, that we can read in Acts uh, as we get excited for this study of how your work has continued throughout history, as we get excited about this mission that you've given us even in this room and the message of Christ crucified and resurrected for the way of salvation, and as we will see opposition and as we will see just all of these things take place, Father, I pray that you encourage us this morning, that we will see as we work through Acts just the deep, well of your goodness in it. And as we become encouraged by it, Father, may we not be apathetic to the mission. May we be people who are encouraged and full of your spirit going out and proclaiming this message that you have put on our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you guys. 